0: so much for all that. And, and if you feel like, man, uh, I, I don't know if I like this experiment with the worship, I'm not sure. You can feel free to come talk with Mark and come for a tryout for the worship team. We'd love to hear your voice in the mix. Uh, come on out. We'd love to talk with you. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, no, that kind of tongue in cheek. But the truth of it is, we are really excited and they are working hard. And like we've talked about the last Sundays, we're experimenting a little bit as we're trying to keep... Uh, dare I say, a- aim for a slightly uh, less mature crowd, I'm, you know, a younger crowd, you know, uh, so, you know, it's like balance out our maturity and stability. I'm trying to say this, and is that a fair, you know, we got a lot of maturity and stability, wisdom in our group. We want a little bit more youthful vigor or something. Uh, recklessness? No, no, that's not right. Uh, something. We want all ages here. We want ages, and uh, we're really excited, and a part of that great news, actually, we c- we're announcing today, officially, Stephanie Cody has moved down from the beautiful yeah. Seattle church, yeah. and she said, doggone, it's going to be overcast, I want it cold, and we said, we can take care of that, um, no, it's great to have her, she's a blessing, and my uh, sharing out a couple times with Amanda, Amanda has done this frequently, coming back from hanging out with many of you ladies, she goes, I love her. She's great. Uh, but it is a blessing to have you, sister. And uh, some of the brothers were like, hey, I could take her out on a date. Actually, we can't. Because a very smart man up in Seattle was like, you may f- move physically, but can I keep a part of your heart? And asked her out to be his girlfriend. So she is an awesome. She's dating, uh, which is awesome. It's like, yeah, amen. It is, it's amazing for him and for you. But for some other men, yeah. It's great. We're really excited. No, we are excited about that. Um, and we love uh, we love it. We, we love being here together. I hope we're family. So we joke, we laugh, we cry, we hug. Um, it's amazing. I hope you're excited. If you've been here, this is your first time. Welcome. Uh, thanks so much, brother. I appreciate so much, Tony, and the depth and, and the way I think. I don't think I've ever had a conversation or heard him even teach the Bible, and it's not been thoughtful. And I think one of the things I love about Tony and Laura is that there's an intentionality and a thoughtfulness that comes out. And I appreciate that. And it helps me to be able to, I love those great questions are just, they they change your life. I think those are keys that unlock doors in our hearts uh, and our thinking. I really appreciate that, bro. Uh, Well, this morning, we're going to dive on in. If you've got a Bible, turn over to Mark chapter 8. And we are, I'm setting a timer. Because sometimes repentance, you got to have tools for repentance, I mean. Um, we're, talk, we're talking this morning, we're, we're looking ahead, it's our workshop Sunday. So this is a little bit like part one, so if you're visiting with us, we're going to be meeting again kind of the, the members and kind of long-term visitors as a church. We're going to be talking about our plans, some of the practical, but also the visions that we're, we're, we're aiming for. We know that we're going to be dreaming, uh, and we're going to aim for things, and we're not going to hit everything we're aiming for. But when you aim for nothing, you hit it every time. So we're going to shoot for something. We're going to be dreaming together. We're going to reach. We're going to grow. And you know what? Uh, I think we're going to find that we're going to find a lot more victory than even on maybe surprise victories, surprise growth, repentance, transformation, freedom that we didn't expect because at least, you know, we're, we're aiming for something. We're moving forward. It's much easier to steer a moving car. And I think when we start moving towards something, God's able, and we put our dream in, you know, kinda, in, and lift it up with him in, with an open hand. He's able to steer us. And even if we're not going the perfect direction, it's amazing the way he can direct our steps. But if we won't move by faith, well, it's really tough to get us moving in the right direction at all, isn't it? And I think that's what we're going for. So are we going to do this perfectly? No. This year, we've been kind of joking. Uh, we met with, uh, I guess it was about 18 or 20 people at our house. We're calling that kind of the... the the core group. Uh, we were just like, man, we got to start, you know, and start having some talks with some people. These are some of the pillars, long-term couples, uh, people that we know, love, and respect. And because having a a little meeting about, hey, what are we doing, and how do we plan and dream together with like 80 people in my living room? We got a great living room. It's not quite that great. Uh, it's a little hard, but with 18 or 20, we can make plans, get some feedback, and we're talking. We're seeking advice. This isn't the things that we're going to be talking and presenting and and even asking for you to pray about. They're not things that we just kind of pulled out of a hat. They're not. uh, We don't really believe in acting as leaders like leaders in that title is awesome. But the title of leader only gives you one thing, and that's a little bit of time. And that's to prove that you're an absolute imbecile and you're unspiritual and you shouldn't have the influence or to prove that actually, you know, we made an okay choice. Let's let them keep influencing us. That's all the title does. (laughs) There, and there's no, str- I can't, like, there's, we're the only ones on staff. It's, there's no financial or structural authority. It's not like working for spirit. I can't come to you and go, if you don't, you know, I don't know, if you, if you don't do what I want, I'll fire you. There, if I come up to Tony and I go, oh, if you don't pick up that communion talk, I'm going to fire you. He's like, please do. You know, I was like, you don't, you, don't, you know, I was like, I, I, we're all pretty much all volunteers here. We do this because we love Jesus and he poured it out for us and we're putting ourselves on the altar for him. And this is a family. Are we army of God in some ways? Yeah. Are we the family of God? Absolutely. And in some senses, we have gone to one extreme or the other and back again. But we want both of those things. But knowing that the real reward, the real treasure, the reason why we're doing what we're doing isn't because of some earthly reward. It starts with the cross and the motivation. I can't earn my salvation. I can't work for it. I work because of it. I'm freed because of it. And then I'm unleashed to do God's work and watch him work in other people's lives. That's an unbelievable thing that we get to be a part of. But I think on the other side of eternity, if we could spend 10 minutes there this morning and come back, I think of that story about the rich man and Lazarus, where Lazarus, not right with God, goes and sees the other side, and incredibly evangelistic in hell. Because he sees the other side, and oh my goodness, my life here really does matter more than I thought. Can I go back and tell people what I've seen? And I think if we could pray and imagine ourselves there this morning, I wonder what we'd come back and tell ourselves. Mm -hmm. And because we can't see that, we look at Jesus who has. And that's why we trust him. It's like a Sherpa. It's someone who's gone to the top of the mountain and comes back down and goes, I know the way, let's go together. And that's what we got in Jesus. And so, so much of what we're talking about this morning and what we're hoping for this year is that we are going to be a church where Jesus is Lord, Mm -hmm. period. And we're going to talk about two areas Um, about, I think for us as a church, maybe where we start, I don't know if that's the right, you know, maybe we, in some ways, we've been using the words that we're going to relay, we're going to recalibrate, and we're going to redefine. And what we mean by that is we want to relay some foundations, there's going to be some review, and I'm going to be explaining this, we want to recalibrate, and get our, kind of get true north back as our direction, and recalibrate a little bit of our our gauges with Jesus. And we also want to redefine some old Bible words that have become to be full of soreness, experience, things that we become overly sensitive, and we're not going to toss out Bible words because we've had some history with them. We want to redefine and get back to the way Jesus imagines them and dreams for them to be in our lives. Does that make sense? So we're going to talk this morning about Jesus, the King. And we're in the book of Mark. If you've, if you've ever studied the, the Gospels before, you'll see that the, when really when we say, we say the Gospels, really it's the Gospel accounts. Really we have the same Gospel. And a lot of times we've overly simplified that in our modern world, to kind of what we would say the substitutionary death. What's the good news? Jesus died for you so that when you died, you don't really die, you go to heaven. But that is a very, very small slice of the good news. It's a part of it, without doubt. And without that slice, you don't get the whole pie, man. That's a huge, important piece. But the good news is that the king has come. The king has come. He's still ruling. He's got all authority, and he's righteous and good. He's fighting for you, and he's calling us that Jesus is that king. That's the good news. And that there is no victory he hasn't won. There is no enemy he won't conquer. There is no soul, no lost sheep that he will not leave the 99 to come for. He will leave the throne room of God to come down and die on a cross to save his people. That's the king. And he's come, and he's coming back. And we see that echo throughout the gospel accounts, but it becomes crystal clear in the book of Mark. Most people think John Mark who wrote it was, wrote, was writing Peter's account. John Mark was probably a cousin of Peter, so likely that's the case. No for sure we don't. There are certain details that certainly tell us, especially if you've ever had brothers and you know kind of competitive brotherly spirit there's little details that get in here all over the place and it's funny it's amazing the the book of the book of mark is fast-paced it it reads almost like a it's like a graphic novel it's just action man it's bang it's, it's jesus moving he's going here he's preaching dead people are rising up oh this guy he's parting he's leaving it's secret he's hiding he's back again flipping. It's this action. It's 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 scene to scene to scene. And it's all about Jesus the King coming on the scene and the power of the kingdom coming. That's the theme of the book of Mark. And you see this all the way through. It's this special focus. It's probably the first gospel that was completed and passed around. It's it's the shortest. And we see this comparison between Mark and other gospels. And almost certainly they shared material. There were 11 Best friend apostles looking at the same Jesus, it seems like it would be mildly humble to share some notes. Hey, hey, Eric, did, did I get that right? Yeah, that sounds great. You know, you know what I mean? That, that that makes sense. That's actually supports the strength of the Bible, not reduces it. So as we pick it up in all of these areas about Jesus being the King, sometimes it's easy to see Jesus as the King of the universe. But it's a different thing. When we crown him king in our lives. Amen. Right. It's different. There are kings that exist that, you know, the kingdom of Arabia, still a kingdom. You know, there's a sultan. There's a king. There's an there are very few. I mean, there's not like an emperor running. Around. I think Putin thinks he is. I mean, we got all sorts of leaders that think they are. There's very few actual emperors or kingdoms or kings that are running or queens. You know, England now has a king. I got a call from one of our brothers in, in England, He was, you know, and he called me yesterday. And he's like, he's Nigerian, which is hilarious, but he's living in London. He was talking. He's like, you must share with your brothers that one great thing about living in London is you can have a king. And I was like, but I already got a king. I got Jesus. Thank you. He's like, okay, my brother, but you can have a king on earth, too. He was just funny. <laughs> but we don't have a king in America. Right. So the idea of the authority, whether you disagree, you, didn't, you don't vote for the king but he's got full authority. He's got the ability to take your life on a whim. We don't have, in America, we actually kind of have a little bit of a disdain for this kind of authority. We would reject it out f- face. And in, in some ways we think authority at all is evil. That's become very popular. But according to the account, the good news is that Jesus is the king. He's the king of kings. He's got all authority in heaven and earth is what Matthew 28 would say. But is Jesus your king? And I think if he's going to be king, and when he is king, of our church and our lives here individually, unbelievable things begin to happen. Because there is not a single enemy that can stand in his way. But I want to plug into two things, I think, that we want to focus on as a church, maybe. These are a couple of the big rocks we want to get in. And that's the two areas, is Jesus being king of your mind? But Jesus being king of your mountains. And I want to start, we're gonna, there's two points today, and we're gonna start in Mark chapter 8. And we're gonna talk about Jesus being king of your mind. We all together, family? Oh At yeah. chapter 8, let's read together. And we're gonna we're gonna kind of h- take two snapshots, two conversations, but we're gonna start here in Mark chapter 8. And We pick it up here in verse 31, and this is coming right at the tails of this conversation of like, Jesus asks his disciples, like, who do people say that I am? Which is such a fascinating conversation. It's like, who, people are talking about me, right? Like, what are they saying? And like, who do, who do people think I am? And they're like, some people are like some prophets, Elijah, like, no one really knows. And it was amazing. Peter has that famous moment where he goes, you're the son of the living God. Ding, you're the Christ. Shoe drops. He gets it. Finally, man, he wins the lotto, right? Peter finally says something that's right on the money. Ding, ding, ding. Awesome. Jesus like, God has revealed that to you, and it's incredible. And right on the heels of that, Jesus is the king of kings. Yep, he's the promised one. Oh my goodness, that's right. And then you get into verse 31, where Jesus tells them. He says, he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed. And after three days rise again. So I want you to think about this. Imagine what it would feel like. Your best friend, your teacher. You left John the Baptist who was preaching about the coming of the Lamb of God. He pointed to you, have got your family involved. You've left your career. You've left dad. There are relationships. You have certainly received some persecution, at least some weird, awkward, gossipy side glances. Man, you've you've, you've been in it, and now you've been following this Jesus, and you're, you're wrestling, you're, you're deepening in your faith. Who am I being? You're the Son of God. You're the promised one. You're the hope. You're going to redeem everyone. You're the one Joel and Isaiah were talking about. And he goes, yep, I got to die. You're like, huh? Like, you know, it's like, cannot compute. Could you imagine, you're like, what you might feel like, if that would even register. Like, you're hearing, you're like, I'm hearing you, but what? You know what I mean? You're, if you have six, seven, eight-year-old kids, you know that look. You're talking, but you're like, we both speak fluent English, right? And you're no, I don't, I'm not getting you. And he says, no, no, no. I'm not only rejecting, he says that he must be killed. And after three days rise again, verse 32, he spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. That in general, anytime you rebuke Jesus, you're pretty much wrong. Like, spoiler alert, you're pretty much in the wrong, right? That's that's a bad idea. I think we're all in that. But verse 33, but when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, that means they were within earshot of this talk. He rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel, the good news, will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. There would There is so much treasure to unpack here. I can't unpack it all, but I want to unpack a little bit. When we talk about Jesus being Lord of our mind, in the Western world, especially in 21st century America, we often talk about the heart and the mind being, mind's where you think things, heart's where you feel things. But actually, biblically, when you start to read, that's not the way that most Jews thought about it at all. In fact, when Jesus brought a guy who was crippled in front of the synagogue, and this whole debate about healing on the Sabbath, the one time we see actually Jesus angry, not when he flips over tables. It never says he was angry in that passage. The passage, it, it, the one time it says he got angry, is because he says is it right to is it is it right to heal on the Sabbath. And what, and they they were silent. And what it says is what Jesus knew what they were thinking in their hearts. So this disconnection this that we often think about our minds and our hearts about, this is where I feel and this is where I think in many ways, going, no, 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 that's you, that's the soul. That's the driver that's in the body, your car. That's the you. And you're not a body with a soul, you're a soul that has a body right now. And it'll get a new body. You get upgraded. You get, you know what I'm saying? It's like when you walk in to rent a car and you paid for the economy, the small little, like, mini, you know, sardine can because it's the cheapest. And they go, well, we don't have any more of the cheap ones. W- would you like the Escalade? And you go, sure, I think I can squeeze into that. Sure, is it the same price? Well, it has to be because legally, you know. And you're like, yeah, I'll take the upgrade. That's heaven. You'll get a new body. Right now, you're stuck with what you got. I don't know if you love it. I don't know if you hate it, but that's the one you got. Some of us are wrestling with that point. You can go home and pray more. Just talk to Jesus about that. I don't know what to do about that. But I want to ask you, is Jesus, is he Lord of your mind? What you think and feel? Does he have the crown on how your emotions and your thoughts go? And I think about this with Peter, and Peter's doing what a best friend should do, shouldn't he? Could you imagine? If your best friend came to you, they're like, man, I'm doing well spiritually. I mean, me and my wife are as close as we've ever been. My kids are growing up, man. They're getting excited about God, and it's awesome. We're going through, man. At my job, we're doing great, and I'm going to go die. What would any reasonable best friend do? Rebuke you? What do you? know, bro. What, no, what do? What? What are you going to go do? Where are you going? No, that's a terrible idea. What? No. And he grabs him and going, What are you doing? Do you know what you're going to leave behind? You can imagine the conversation you would have with your mom or dad or your brother or sister. You're going. You're going where? And Jesus, we've watched raise people from the dead. Thousands have been fed. People are finally in the Jewish world coming back to you. You're going to die. No wonder that is the most reasonable thing a best friend and disciple would do, wouldn't they? Great intentions, totally normal, totally reasonable, and he is dead wrong. And if you notice, what's the actual rebuke from Jesus? If you look at the words, it's not, you fool, it's not, You don't love me enough, or you're a coward. No, 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 no. It's you have in mind the things of what? Men. You don't have in mind the things of God. That's when Jesus is Lord of your mind. And my question when it comes to your hurts, when it comes to your marriage, when it comes to your work, when it comes to your purity, your singlehood, your finances, your physical health, even just being an awesome, active part of the church. Is Jesus completely Lord of how you think and live? Is he? Or do you have awesome, good, reasonable things of men that dictate the way you make decisions? Let's go, hey, I know, you know, midweek, I don't need to be at midweeks. I mean, come on, that that's Sundays, of course. Everyone knows you go to Sundays, but Wednesdays are completely optional. I, I don't need to be there. I mean, let's not get too serious about our faith, right? Like, we're not going to share our faith. I, you, me be uncomfortable? Like, where would Jesus ever expect me to be uncomfortable and, like, die to myself, you know? I mean, and share my faith? Talk to a stranger? What if I made them uncomfortable? Oh, I can't do that. And if you notice what will happen, and maybe you've done this. I've done this. Have you? where I will find myself with very good-sounding arguments that will completely lead me to just not obey. I will talk myself out of obeying Jesus' words that are plainly taught. Have you ever done that? Have you ever done that? I have. To my shame. Like, well, Jeff, you're a preacher. Certainly you'd get it right. Man, I wish. And almost every time, I'll tell you what's not involved with my life when I'm making those decisions is my Bible isn't open and neither are my ears to the advice of other men who are trying to follow Jesus either. If I close my Bible and I close my ears, mysteriously, it's a whole lot easier for Jesus to not be Lord. I know I found that in my life. Good intentions, totally normal, totally reasonable, and dead wrong. And Jesus rebukes him. Maybe the most scolding rebuke in, in scripture. And he he's get, he gets called simply because he does not have in mind the things of God. How can you have, how could any of us have the things of God in mind if we don't have the word of God open and active in our life? See, that's where it starts, family. And as a church, for all of us in here, individually, but as a group, we're going to keep opening the Bible. We're going to keep digging. We're going to keep talking. And I don't mean just agreeing. That's not faith. Faith is an agreement. Faith is allegiance. We're putting our trust in this. We're going for it. When God goes, no, 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 you're going to follow me? We're going to a cross. You got, man, you got to pick up that cross and follow me. That's where we're both going. That, it's easy to go, yeah, I kind of agree with that idea. I agree that it's written. But my question is, do you have splinters in your back? That's the proof of the pudding. Do you have holes in your wrists? Do you got blood on your hands? Are you tired that's when things get real, isn't it? Things get Lord of our mind. We got to get our minds right back on the things of God. Anybody else in here a power lifter? Yeah, there's got to be 10, 20 of us. Yeah. Yeah. Me and Joey back there in the gym. There we go. I got it. You're awesome, sister. Here. So I remember was talking with Mark and Mark would casually said when I was training for my Ironman a few years ago and I was like ha, 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 ah. I went on an 18 mile run things I have never ever said in my life <laughs> yeah I'm a minister I don't break the law and I learned to defend myself so if you try to take my lunch my, I don't break the law I don't need to run from cops I can defend myself I don't need to run from robbers I'm fine I don't need to run there's no reason for me to run except to Jesus I, I don't know run to repentance or something I just don't do it. But I, I love my therapy is not an 18-mile run. I'm like, Lord, that sounds like what Dante was reading about. It's like the ninth circle of hell to me. I'm like, no, never-ending torture, no. So what do I do? Well, I, I go squat 500 or 550 pounds. Yeah. And it, No one amends that point, right? Exactly. And they go, what? And I'll tell you, when you start, With weights that you've never—they call it a personal record, a PR. That's really what you're chasing in strength sports. You're going—you don't—you don't—you don't don't train to get weaker. It's like I want weight—I want less weight on the bar. The 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 Mary Kay pink dumbbells—I'm just crushing it right now, bro. No, that's not the goal. But you have to get coaching, other guys that are in there with you, because when you get under a bar. You, you need coaching. They call them cues. Someone's yelling very small phrases to remind you because when you get under the pressure, more pressure than you've ever had, a lot of times more than you think you can bear, it's amazing what your mind begins to do. And you, you might have done this movement hundreds, thousands of times in preparation. And I remember there was one of these things. This guy, he was one of them. And when I started doing powerlifting. This was San Antonio. I remember the first time, I think it was like five, maybe 525. It was like, oh, so, you know, over 500 pounds. I'm about 220 pounds. For me, that, that's a lot of weight. For some of you, you're like, that's just an easy Tuesday morning. For me, that was hard. And I remember what we yell be, as you're trying. And you have to yell because you kind of get zoned in. And we would just yell at each other, like, get your mind Right. Because what will happen is if you get under the bar and there is a shred of belief, you cannot do it. You will get out of the groove. You will not get in position. And what sucks is if you do that a couple of times, you begin to tell your body and you begin convinced you can't do it. But the reality of it is you don't give yourself the opportunity to do it. You won't sit back into the position that makes you strongest, but you feel the weakest. It's unbelievably psychological. Marines, or Marines talk about this, or sorry, SEAL training, when they talk about getting into uh, uh, like Hell Week in, in, in SEAL training, they talk about when you get points you want to quit, you're at your 60% mark. You have 40% more in you. And you need to dig because so much of the human body and your mind is connected. And whether it's getting under a bar that's heavier than ever you have, or maybe you feel like actually it's the bar of grief. Or it's the bar of forgiveness. Or it's the bar of giving your heart again. Because I've studied the Bible, I've tried to witness, I've tried to evangelize, Jeff. I've tried to be a member. I've tried discipleship. I've tried discipling relationships. I've tried confession. I've tried prayer, and doggone it, I've had, that bar has come crashing down on me every time. Do you know how much I've? Do you know how much I've suffered? And man, can't we all relate to that? And I look at Jesus and I'm going, be careful if what you're coming to Jesus for is an encouraging talk. You know, pat on the back when he might go, no, bro, no, sis, get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God. Sometimes we want the pep talk. We want God to just encourage you when actually it's, the, it's this like demon of doubt. He's going, stop doubting. And you go, no, I don't believe in myself. And I think God, no, you don't believe in me. I'm the king. I can do it. I have called you. I'm never going to put more weight on the bar than you can get up under. And when Jesus is is Lord of our mind, and we get back to the scriptures, and him saying it is enough. It's enough for us to go. It's enough for us to take the next step. What happens is, is things become real exciting really fast. Things begin to transform because Jesus isn't calling you to normal. He isn't calling you to reasonable. He isn't calling you to be like all of your neighbors or the average American. He's not calling you to that. 80% right now, 79 or 78%, I guess, in the most recent poll, claim to be Christian in the United States the men in the United States that claim to be Christians stop looking at pornography, the entire worldwide industry would collapse overnight. When Jesus is Lord of your mind, single verses can transform the way our world functions. Single verses. Don't treat any older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with absolute purity, right? We turn to Timothy. Imagine if every man that claimed to be a Christian did that. Boom! Wouldn't our world, wouldn't our nation look different? Wouldn't the internet look different? Come on. I go, what? I mean, it it's just becomes powerful. He's not calling you to reasonable. He's calling you to Bible. He's calling all of us to Bible. Will Jesus be Lord of your mind? And I think as a church, in some ways, we've got to get out of our head the things of man and get back to the things of God. Purely, simply, I think I would rather be stupid, stupid and naive, and just obey Jesus at his, at, at just face value. Then be massively intelligent and wise, and talk myself out of it. You know what I mean? Sometimes I'm 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 a, I'm just a lot wiser than Jesus. You know, I need to be wise and be measured. I'm like, I don't say it that way, but that's honestly what I'll do to myself. I'll do that to my marriage. I'll do that to my kids. Do you do that sometimes? And I think this is what we all want. Isn't that why we're here? One of the things I love about the Wichita Church is, man, we've been through it. We've been through it, and we're still standing. not done with us. And I don't know about you, I don't think his dream for the Wichita Church is for us to white-knuckle it. And let's, let's see if we can just get enough contribution to have a one couple hired until Jesus comes back. I hope he comes back in 2025. We're just going to hold on. I don't think that's the dream. And if it is, I don't want a God like that. That's not our god. And he's I mean he's and he's telling them, look, and if anyone would come after me, he's got to deny himself and take up his cross. Is your is your cross gathering dust? Is your Bible? I think it's time to just open our Bible, get simple, get Bible, get back to the basics again and go, no no no, let's get out of the things of man and get back to the things of God. Verse 34 through 38 about the basics of discipleship, of just taking up our cross, giving up everything, denying ourselves and what we want all the time. We live in a world now where in in some ways that idleness is an idol, that comfort is our God. And if it's not comfortable, easy, if anything would be demanded, if you ever feel unsafe, this is the mark that it is ungodly. Show me a passage. Following Jesus one of the most unsafe things you can do if you have in mind the things of God. Mm-hmm. But when you're in the storm, like those disciples were in Jesus walking on water, what feels safe if you're a fisherman is I stay in the boat. But safest place you can be is the Lord of the storms out there on the water. Amen. What actually is safe is often not what feels safe. Does that make sense, family? Yes. And I think we just got to get back to Bible. Get back to the things of God. But we got to do that, Family. What do you got to do? You got to decide you're going to love the scriptures. That's not legalism to spend time with God every day. It's just smart. Yeah. In the same way as a husband, and you know, if I went, hey, bro, I can talk to one of the campus students, Jacob. I've decided I don't want to be legalistic. I'm getting some advice from Jacob decided I don't want to be legalistic about my relationship with my wife. I'm thinking that maybe in the midst of kind of our full-time job, three kids, they're going to school, the occasional sickness. If I'm the touche's, it's the constant sickness, right? We all got stuff we're dealing with, Uh, family stuff, hurts, Uh, wreck my car. Uh, It's like negative 30 windshield. In the midst of everything we're doing, I'm not going to plan time with my wife. I'm just going to Simultaneously, maybe we find ourselves in the same place and then emotionally, uh, organically engage in our marriage. What do you think? Good luck. Because you defend the things you love. And that's not a bad idea when you're a cap- And a lot of your schedule is self-directed. It's a little different when you got a 40, 50, 60-hour-a-week job, you got kids, you got, You got a lot in the fire. you got to defend the things you love. You make it intentional. The challenge is we've got to make it intentional with God, too. we got to come back to him. Every day, you and God sitting down and praying, asking for his wisdom, pouring out your heart, spending time with your God, you won't ever accidentally find yourself with the things of God in your mind. mind of God is something that's given it to us, not something that we already have. We seek truth in him. And we got to decide to love it. And I mean, love it and do it, even when it doesn't feel great. Get help if we feel like we can't. That's about deep, daily, get back to God and just do it. It's that simple, but it's that powerful. Does that make sense, family? The second thing is talking about God being the Lord of our mountains. Turn with me over to Mark chapter 11. I mean, this stuff is just rich. You can go back to these passages and dig in. There's so much going on, a lot like the coffee I'm drinking. This is a Nicaraguan, natural process. If you're interested, we can talk later. <laughs> like my. So, man, there's so much here about Jesus being Lord of our mind. I don't want to talk about being Lord. Jesus being Lord of your mountains. Look at Mark chapter 11 with me. We're going to pick it up here in verse 12. And as we pick it up, Jesus, this is you know, the triumphal entry. So if you're familiar, I mean, he's coming in and it's, it's, the, it's Palm Sunday, right? They're laying the palm fronds on the ground. They're welcoming him as a Davidic king. People are laying cloaks, palm fronds down. They're yelling, Hosanna. It is, a, it is a party, it is a parade coming into Jerusalem for Jesus. And could you imagine? Is everyone in Jerusalem happy about that parade? No. Some people are ticked. They've already been plotting to kill Jesus. And now you can just imagine, and they're like, you could just ima- I imagine if it's a scene. Like a kid's cartoon, there's some guy, you know, with, you know, loading the gun in the background. They just hate Jesus. They're hating this. And it's a wild day. And then we get to verse 12, and it says, the next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Amen. Jesus was a man. Come on, dude. It says, seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if he had any fruit. Anybody love figs? I love figs. Love figs. So when you get like Fig Newtons, the fake ones, not the same. Real Fig Newtons with the actual fig, the artificial fig flavor. I'm like, what is a fig flavor? That's like when Dimetap is grape flavored. I'm like, no, it ain't. That's not, no grape has ever tasted like that. But everyone knows grape flavor from Dimetap. We like universally know it. Anyway, real figs are great. Jesus wants some. That's the point. Keep reading with me. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves. Because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And all trees have lived in fear ever since this day. (laughs) No, and his disciples heard him say it. Could you imagine? What would you be thinking? You're like, yeah, a a a little stern here, huh? Yeah, a little intense, a little overbearing. A little judgmental here, Jesus. Harsh. Verse 15, on reaching Jerusalem, probably still hungry, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. As he taught them, he said, is it not written? My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a, for a way to kill him. For they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teachings. And when the evening came, they went out of the city. You now, in the morning. See, it's, you, you, you get the mark, it's like play-by-play. Like play. It's like, boom, next morning. It's like, you ever watched 24 with Kiefer Sutherland? Yeah. I love that show. First couple seasons, they did it in a very cheesy manner. It's like, ding, 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 ding. But it was, it's great. There's, that, there's this compelling, what's next? Boom. Verse 20. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the tree. They saw it. They saw it withered from the roots. It was like 24 hours later. I don't know about you. I wish weed killer would work that fast in my grass. <laughs> have you ever seen a product that worked that fast? I haven't. Jesus. We should have Jesus weed killer. That would be the fastest selling product in the human history, right? Peter, in verse 21, Peter remembered, and he said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, and he's pointing to Mount Zion, they're on top of the mountain, that Jerusalem, the city on a hill, they're on Mount Zion. This is God's city. And Jesus goes, no, no, no. I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself in the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Here's the the truth that's both scary and incredibly inspiring, is that what is possible changes radically and very quickly when Jesus is in the driver's seat. When you let Jesus be Lord in every way, what is possible in your life, that ceiling of possibility is shattered when he's wearing the crown. And it happens quickly. And it happens powerfully. When Jesus is running the show. What's incredible to me is that is how fast people change. He walks in the he walks in the city and it's Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. Oh my goodness. Oh, and they're welcoming in like King David. And a week later, what are they yelling? Crucify, Crucify him. This is not about an emotional reaction, friends. Faith isn't about how we feel. It's not an altar call. This is not about this is not about an infatuated, driven one night stand with God. That, that that's not it at all. He's going, man. I want a faithful marriage. I want this to be for life. I want this for eternity. And man, as we wrestle with this, the truth of it is, is that we're going to face challenges. We're going to face hardships. We're going to face mountains. Things are going to get real. Some of those things, like Peter has found, some of those mountains and those challenges were in his own heart. Get behind me, Satan. How would you react? Would you stick around Jesus's ministry if, if any minister ever talked to you like that? Many people have left for less. Yeah. Peter seems to get more. Three verses or three chapters later, he's going. Rabbi, look, it's the it's the fig tree. He's now watching God work. He's watching him. No, 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 no. That's exactly right. You obey God. And, and watch what things, you found the things of mind, th- he's got in mind the things of God. It seems like his mind has changed a bit, hasn't it? And when we believe, he goes, have faith in God. When you don't, it's not about, I believe in Jesus as if he is Tinkerbell or Santa Claus. No, when you believe him. Do you believe Jesus is telling the truth? Yes or no? It's like touching your toes. Touch your toes with a straight leg. Can you do it or not? That's a yes or no question. Well, you know, when I was in high school, I could do the splits. Very interesting. However, that wasn't the question. The question was, right now, straight leg, can you touch your toes? Well, you know, I mean, emotionally, can't we all be flexible? Also not the question. Sometimes we just don't want to deal with the hard fact, yes or no. Do you believe him? Do you believe what he says? If you stand before God in you don't get forgiven either, because when you actually believe that, whoa, we don't we don't we approach forgiveness different. When you believe Jesus, when He goes, no, the harvest is plentiful; it's the workers that are few. Right. We don't have a seeker problem; we have a converter problem. And you can be an answer to that prayer. We don't have we don't we don't really have a sin. Like we, we got a sin problem, but our issue isn't that we're hopeless with our sin problem. It's that we've, we've got too few doctors that are giving out the cure. Cure's been found. We've had it. We've known it for years. Many of us have taken it. But I love the question. What is God doing now that He's sacri- he's crucified himself for you? I think sometimes we want Jesus interceding and we want to kick our feet up. That's heaven. We're not there yet but it starts with Jesus being lord of our mountains. Cuz Jesus is teaching them and he kind of culminates to this point, which is kind of a funny point. He goes, it's this whole fig tree thing and Peter's like, "What in the world, Rabbi? Look, it actually died." And it's almost you can almost think of Jesus like raising his eyebrow of, like, "I told it to die. What did you think it was going to do?" <laughs> like sprout figs. I repent, Jesus. You know, I mean, you no know, like, you know, I was I don't know it's like you're dead. We're done now. He got judgment. It's dead and he walks in and, and it's like the, the disciples are hearing it. I wonder what Judas was thinking. Looking at that going, snap, if the fig tree, I don't know what's going to happen to my tree. Goodness, you know, you know what I mean? If, I, if you're me, that's the things I'm thinking. But this wrestling match, in the midst of the emotion, the murderous threats, this fig tree thing that seems to stand out the most, which is fascinating to me. It's not Hosanna in the highest. That's not what they keep talking about. And he goes, have faith in God. And then he brings it home and he starts talking about them. And he tells him in verse 22, I tell you the truth that if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you've received it and it'll be yours. And when you're praying, If you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your heavenly fathers may forgive your sins. It's an if-may statement. And my question today is when you read this, it's simple. Do you believe him? Do you believe that your prayers actually matter? That Jesus intercedes, but so do you? That he's listening, there's response, the things in your heart, the things that in your life, the things you're facing... The things even outside of your life, the mountains that are there. Now, here's the thing. how many? It's it's similar to that passage in Mark 9 when Jesus tells them, look, if there's anything that causes you to stumble, cut your hand off. You know, if it's your hand that's causing you to sin, cut it off. It's your eye, pluck it out. Now, how many cut off hands or plucked out eyes do we have a rec- record of in the Bible? None. There's some heads chopped off. But that's for an entirely different reason. No one cuts off voluntarily their own limbs in order to repent because it isn't a limb problem. I don't have a hand problem. My lust isn't an eye problem. It's a heart problem. And when you put someone a knife going, well, if it's really your eye, bro, here's a spoon. You're like, okay, well, maybe it's not an eye problem. (laughs) We get real honest real fast, huh? And he goes, you don't understand the power you have when you sit down on your knees and just talk to God and beg him for things to do. And if you do it with faith, you believe him. Do you understand the power that you've got? Do you understand the ability that you have to enter the throne room of heaven and that he not only you have the ear, what would you do if you knew the president would take every call you had? Yeah, what do you need? Hey, Joe here. Hey, what do you need? If you agree with the politics or not, it doesn't matter. The po- full power of the presidency behind a, a call, what would you call for? Hey, our, I mean, our school system, West Side, hey, May, Mays, up, Wichita, North, we need a little money. Great. Who, who's the who's, who's a, who's a superintendent? Give me their number. I'm on it. Could you imagine the power you would feel? But also the weight of, hold on, I, I, I'm someone's put, they, they put the launch codes in my hands here. I got something powerful. And God goes, yeah, that's how serious we are. And we're talking about the Mount Zion. If you tell this mountain to throw itself in the ocean, it'll do it. If you believe. Tallest mountain on earth is Mount Everest. Is what most people think. 8,839 meters. Massively tall, about 20,000 feet. It's got an, it's got a death zone. That you got about sixteen or twenty hours to be in the top to summit and come back down. Or you die. And you don't die. You don't. You actually die before you realize it, because the amount of time that you need to get up and come back. About eight hundred people try this a year. Only about five people succeed. I know that number's changed in the last like twenty four months. I think Nepal has changed that up. When you come back down, there are these frozen bodies on the side of the st- on the way back because of people who were too arrogant, who didn't ha- heed the news and went up and tried it, and they were dead before they knew it. They got sleepy because you're losing oxygen, and they just sit down to rest, and they never wake up. It's fascinating. Mountains can be dangerous. I think of things like uh, that, you know what the highest point in Kansas is. We're not like among the top 6,000 highest or something in the world. We're not known for our, our tall, dashing, snow-capped mountain peaks. Kansas is known for other things. Mount, Mount Sunflower, about 4,000 feet above sea level. Woo! That's high. No, it's not. It's not really high at all. It's like a third-story house. It's not that high. <laughs> but what's funny is that actually the actual highest mountain on earth is Mauna Kea, which is actually one of the islands in Hawaii which above the sea level is about 4,000 meters, but it's over 10,000 meters. It's like 25% taller than Mount Everest. The bottom of it goes on the ocean. bed. What's the point? You throw Everest in the sea, it's not even interesting anymore. You throw massive, tallest mountains on earth, you throw it in the middle of the ocean. What is impossible and dangerous Death zone material just becomes an awesome day hike with an awesome view. What happens when you have faith in God? Everest's become Moana Kea's. It becomes, it becomes the most popular destination for vacations. One of in the Western Hemisphere. The view is gorgeous. It is awesome. There's no death zone on Moana Kea. And I think, man, the the, the mountains, the Mount Everest that I think many of us in this room feel plagued by, do you know what happens when you believe and give it to God? And it throws itself in the sea. I don't think God is talking about physical mountains. That's not what kills our faith. It's the mountains of doubt. The mountains of discouragement. And I think what's fascinating here is the mountain of forgiveness. Isn't it interesting? It stood out to me like a sore thumb today as I was reading this morning, and I went, "Forgiveness." That at the tail end of this thing, where he lands, where he, where Jesus sticks landing, his friends, as you're praying, if you forgive those you have something against, God may forgive your sins. That's the place we start appealing for forgiveness. Is God? I'm just trying to be like you. I'm trying to forgive. And I think we've got some mountains in this room to throw into the sea, do we not, church? Some hurts. Maybe a narrative that things can't change. My marriage can't change. I can't change. I've been around. I've come to church, Jeff. I've tried this before. I can't be different. Do you know how long I've been drinking? Do you know about the secrets? Do you know what I've done? Can God possibly forgive me? And the answer I want to tell you is there is not a single mountain that cannot be thrown into the sea, your sin included. God is in the business, and there's no small, tiny, little tree too small. He is in the business of changing lives still. That your prayers are listened to. That a tree not bearing fruit when Jesus is hungry. This is so This is so insignificant in the grand story of, our, of the forgiveness of our sins and going to the cross. Isn't it fascinating? In multiple, multiple gospels that this fig tree is mentioned, because the power of God is still real and it's active and it's in the smallest ways. But our faith our journey with God, and our walk with each other. When we have faith, we have genuine forgiveness. And here's the thing, family, is that there is not, there is not a problem that we can solve if we won't choose to face it. We've got to make some decisions about, about dealing with some of the elephants in our hearts and in the room the deep sin, the deep vengeance, the deep hurts, the you owe mes the, hey, I misunderstood, the, you know what you said to me, you know how much that got me, and come back to the cross and go, no, no, we all, at the foot of the cross, in prayer, going, we've got some mountains to face, and there is not one single one of them will stand in the face of a faithful disciple, telling them to throw them into the sea. God is absolutely in the business of transforming our lives. Do you believe that? Because I do. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't true. And we loved being here. I was talking to some people as I end here. I was talking with some guys about something, and I was asking, what's the largest that Wichita's ever been? Four seven, thousand, Not the city limits, but us as a church. Our church, and I think it was Lana was telling me. We, uh, we snuck up. I think it was like we played tag and touched 200 for like a hot second and then ran the other direction. So we, 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 we smelled like 200 for a moment. I, you know, who knows? And what's, we're at about 80 right now on paper, give or take. God knows the real number. But what made me think about this is I was going, man, some of us have felt like, oh, man, the idea of growing, a church like us growing again, having a campus ministry. I think the largest campus, I was told, is about 50, maybe a little less, high 40s. I was like, I, I watched God grow a group of Less than what, nine of us? To 100 in just a handful of years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Campus grows like wildfire. All you got to do is put a little bit of gas on there. Yep. <laughs> we're going to talk a little bit on the next workshop about what are some of the practices that we're dreaming of. Yep. But I'm thinking about just of those of us in this room. What happens if we just obeyed one verse? I think of one, if we just faced the mountain of believing we could grow again. Mm-hmm. Jesus sent him out two by two. You're like, you can cover double the ground one by one. Well, yeah, not if you lose all of your, your sheep to the wolves as he was sending them out. He sends them out two by two to keep, watch each other's back and keep you encouraged. But he, they go out two by two. I, what, what would happen if this year every person in this room decided, I'm going to grab someone else in this room and we together are going to go find someone seeking God the way both of us did at some point in our lives. Our 80 becomes 120 by the time we have this talk in a year. We're knock, knock, knocking on 200 again in two years. 200 people? Hold on. I, I, we, that was a miracle. That's Mount Everest. That can't be achieved again. I go, no, i It's just a great, adventurous walk. And when we have faith, things start getting fun again. Right. Yeah. When you believe that there are people like you, like me, yeah. and I'm going to ask them to show a picture from last, well, I'd say last night. It was this morning. It was about 11 hours ago. Huh. Oh, and if I'm slurring my speech, it's because I only got about five hours of sleep is that this threw him in our home. <laughs> and that's Alex Talke, who got baptized into Christ this morning at about one th- about 1230 in the morning. <laughs> I've been studying the Bible the last few months, and I want to end by sharing with him. And I think, as a church, my question is, why do we exist as a church? Why? In your heart and mind, why do you come here on Sunday? What do you believe? Not what would you say. Now what verse would you mildly reference? But why do you believe we exist as an organization? As the ch- as the body of Christ? Why? And if and if it isn't to save the world possibly So my question then is, are we hungry to see more? Do you realize how important your your presence, your heart, you you as a witness of what you've seen is? And I remember the last couple Last couple of nights, we've had some tough talks. <laughs> night talks. I'm not a, I'm not, I'm not a, a campus-aged man anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but when we got one night, and we were talking about this, and I mean, the answers that are coming from his mouth, I mean, the first time I got lunch with him was a little bit after we moved here, and we went to Delano's Barbecue. We started talking, and he was making the decision whether he was going to be, you know, wanted to pursue being an electrician. He just started studying the Bible. He's like, man, I just want to grow in my faith. I want to figure this out. It's challenging and talking with him the last two days, I have watched God day by day and week by week transform his life, transform his character before my eyes. You you remember seeing that? Watching someone read the word of God and go, I believe this, this is unbelievable. This is transforming my life. And going, I think that's what God is calling all of us to be a part of. That the mountains of sin or or hope, and I, I just think of that Alex's children, his grandchildren, are going to look back, and, the, and his family tree will radically change because of the, the decision he made at 1230 in the morning. One January, very cold morning. And I go, what miracles is God waiting to do with us? This year, we've got we're coming back and making Jesus Lord of our mind and getting back to not the things of man, but the things of God. And that mountains, no matter if it's our forgiveness, if it's our hurt, if it's our challenges, if it's the divide, if it's the attitudes, If it's the fear, if it's the old habits, we're going to, with complete faith, have God throw those mountains into the sea, and we are going to watch not just miracles happen, but men and women transform, not because we're amazing and perfect, not because we have the most beautiful pews or the most epic, legendary wallpaper. It's because of the power of Jesus working in us and through us. Friends, Jesus is the king. I'm going to ask Tony to come on up, and he's going to give us a thought, a closing thought and prayer. We are going to be, after this, I'm going to help Tony out a little bit. After after the prayer, we're going to have a short time of fellowship. We're going to ask everyone to go get lunch, and then come back here, and we're going to start in the fellowship hall at 1.30. If you see Mary, feel free to check in with Mary and give her, even if your, num- your number email hasn't changed, if you could just stop by and say, nope, we're good, just double check. We've got it because in this this is coming next year, we're asking Mark Johnson and others to help us with a so that we can communicate when it's negative 30 with Wind Chill. If we're not meeting with church, rather than exploding 12 group meetings with the same announcement, uh, and we're all on half of them, that we'll be able to communicate in a little more straightforward ways, among other things. But thank you so much. Jesus being king, that's where we're aiming for this year. Thanks, Tom. Can remember the message and M M&M is what I'm going with mind mountain and uh, the Lord of our minds and our mountains and uh, even as you were preaching there were multiple times when I said Jesus help me help me with my mind um, help me with my mountains help me with uh, my forgiveness and um, I, I love your message and uh, great analogies and looking forward to our time collectively, um, again, as you mentioned, uh, we'll be, uh, getting a quick lunch and, uh,